Today, my guest is Dr. Alan Goldheim, Goldhammer, excuse me, the co-founder of True North Health Center in Santa Rosa, California. Our topic today might be a little scandalous or controversial for some of you. In fact, when I asked Dr. Goldhammer to participate in this interview, he wanted to be sure that I knew what I was getting myself into. And I think his words were something along the lines of, your colleagues may think you've gone a bit off the rails. So I wanna give you a little bit of background as to why I invited Dr. Goldhammer. And in order to do that, I need to share a little bit about me. I'd say roughly six years ago, my husband discovered that he knows more about how to keep his car running well, and he really doesn't know that much, than he does about how to keep his body healthy and running well. And my husband is one of those that once he makes a decision to do something or learn about something, he has an unbelievable amount of self-discipline and tenacity, and he goes for it. So this journey that started about six years ago that had me just kind of tagging along behind him ended up about three years ago landing on a plant-based whole foods diet. And that is what we have been doing for the last three years. About a year after that, so two years now, we started incorporating intermittent fasting, which means we have our dinner and then we don't eat again until about lunchtime the next day. So two meals a day. And then we went to the next step about, I'd say three months ago maybe, and we started doing one day of 24 hour fasting. In this journey to educating ourselves about health and keeping our bodies a little bit healthier, we listened to an interview that Dr. Goldhammer had with Rich Rolls. And in this interview, he was talking about his health center, the True North Health Center, and he very briefly mentioned that people have seen good results that have come that have uh, substance abuse problems, drug addiction, and he, just, he flew past it in the context of the conversation. And of course, that's what caught my attention. So that is why I have asked him to come today and to talk to us because the, the purpose of these interviews are to give you insight into things that can um, help with the substance abuse issues out there. And so I want to uh, end there with my background and thank you, Dr. Goldhammer, for joining us today and ask you to share a little bit about your background and your clinic and what approach the clinic takes with patients in particular that come to you with chronic pain that has now potentially led into an addiction with pain meds? Yeah, you know, uh, patients have uh, substance abuse problems for lots of different reasons. The patients that we tend to work with <clears throat> are usually people that have gotten trapped into the use of medications to relieve, relieve chronic pain. So they didn't start off crushing their oxycodone trying to get high. They, they, they oftentimes were given prescription medications, well-intentioned doctors treating them, but then it gets out of hand. And uh, our fundamental approach is trying to say, what is it that's creating the pain and inflammation that sets up the problem to begin with? Because even if you manage a patient's substance abuse and get them free, if they have the chronic pain that drove them to the problem, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult battle. And we know that uh, there's a lot of different sources about why 
people have pain and inflammation, the conditions that we tend to be treating successfully are conditions that have a tie into dietary excess. So autoimmune diseases are a good class. You've got 75 common autoimmune diseases where the body attacks itself. And so we know that there's things we can do to get the body to stop attacking itself. If gut leakage is a factor, if, you know, if, you're, if you're absorbing uh, proteins through the intestinal mucosa that trigger the immune system and genetically vulnerable people to attack itself, and you can get that to heal up, that's a way of reducing the pain. And then when you're successful at withdrawing the use of pain medications, the tendency to, to relapse is reduced. Um, and the way we get rid of, for example, the inflammation and the gut leakage associated with those chronic pain syndromes is the use of fasting and dietary intervention. So we'll use a period of medically supervised fasting, uh, which tends to uh, be associated with a reduction in the inflammatory markers, a reduction in the inflammation. And then we get people on a whole plant food, salt, oil, sugar-free type diet, which is a very low antigenic diet. And it tends to help manage these autoimmune inflammatory conditions very successfully. Uh, lots of people recognize conditions like, say, celiac disease. If they eat gluten, they get tremendous inflammation. You have to avoid gluten. Well, it turns out that celiac isn't the only disease that's triggered by things like gluten or other food factors. For example, uh, some people believe that Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is you know, an, a disease where the body's immune system attacks the thyroid instead of the intestinal tract, may also be associated with gluten. Uh, in fact, the gene, the HLA-DQ gene that's associated with celiacs also is the same gene associated with, that's more common in Hashimoto's thyroiditis. Just as an example, where sometimes what you put in your mouth can affect how your body's immune system reacts to itself. And that may be true with dairy and wheat and other products for things like uh, ulcerative colitis and Crohn's and, and rheumatoid arthritis and lupus. And these conditions all have one thing in common. They're all often associated with pain. And they often do associate with people that become dependent on uh, pain modulation uh, drugs and anti-inflammatory drugs because they're trying to you know, live their life and function. It turns out that those conditions, if you fast a patient, withdraw their medications, get them on a healthy diet, often function well without having to go back to the medical management approach. And so that's why that's one class of conditions we have great success with. Um, another, uh, other conditions we treat, um, not necessarily that are uh, associated with pain, but uh, high blood pressure, type two diabetes. Um, these conditions also respond well because they're also caused or contributed to by diuretics. Obviously obesity. You know, an awful lot of patients I treat their pain isn't necessarily just physical, but it's also psychological. And so if you can get a person feeling better about themselves, oftentimes the need for medications is going to be reduced as well. And obviously there's nothing that works more efficiently at reducing uh, excess fat than fasting. Obviously you're not eating, you're gonna lose fat. But what's interesting is we've just done a study where we've actually used a DEXA scanner to do whole body composition changes in fasting. And what we found is not only is fat mobilized during fasting, but visceral fat is preferentially mobilized in fasting. And visceral fat's the type of fat associated with inflammation. And so it may be that's why we, one of the reasons we see so much reduction in pain and debility associated with fasting is because the very fat that's associated with producing these inflammatory markers is dramatically and preferentially mobilized during fasting. So let's say a person had, went on a 10 day fast and they lost 20% of their total body fat they may lose 50% of their visceral fat. 
So even though quantitatively, visceral fat represents a small percentage of the overall fat, it may be a more important part when it comes to inflammation. Um, if you look at what happens to inflammatory markers during fasting, measures of inflammation, which are associated with pain, all of them tend to go down during fasting. CRP, acute phase reactive proteins, all these markers that associate with pain and inflammation respond quite dramatically uh, during fasting. So <clears throat> we're really just learning now and getting a chance to look at these biochemical changes. But we've known clinically, we've been doing this for 39 years. We've had 21,000 people go through this fasting protocol. And we've been working with over 40,000 patients in terms of whole plant food diets. <clears throat> and it's really amazing what the body can do if you get out of the way. <coughs> yeah. So, yeah. So I guess it sounds like, you know, on the one hand, it's like, well, can we just change our diet and then improve, which we can, but fasting adds that added benefit. <clears throat> well, you know, we, first we start with dietary change. Yeah. And for many people, that's all they need. In fact, it's interesting. Recently, we've been, we've been doing a study with the Mayo Clinic in the treatment of high blood pressure and fasting. And we've been enrolling subjects, but because the clinic is booked out a few months, it takes them a while to come in. So these patients are working with our doctors through our telemedicine practice where they can, you know, work remotely. And many times by the time they actually get in, they're already better because the diet and lifestyle change is so effective that even before we get to do any fasting or more aggressive stuff, their conditions have already resolved. Who we see at True North Health are usually the people they've done the dietary change. It's not enough to get them off their meds or get them out of pain or deal with the problem. So, you know, that's why they call us True North Health Center, the last resort. You know, it's like <laughs> our colleague, Dr. Really Google, who will send us patients, says that we're the last resort. You know? Yeah, do I really need to go through the fasting because part? This is a very <laughs> radical approach. Do you think about not eating? In, in, now, granted, you're in a controlled medical setting, you're under direct supervision, but to not eat for a day, a week, or in our case, up to 40 days on water only is a very radical approach. But we also have published a safety study, which shows that it can, in fact, be done safely. And it is effective when it's done in a controlled setting. So these people are all under direct medical supervision. They're in a contained setting. They're seen twice a day. We provide, you know, it's, it's all in an in a enclosed environment. I, I want to make it a point that long-term water fasting, not so good to do uh, at home. That's not necessarily, you know, what you can do at home, though, which can also help with chronic pain, is intermittent fasting. Everybody can fast. We recommend between 12 and 16 hours every day. And have your feeding window be about 8 to 12 hours. And that means not eating 3 to 4 hours before you go to sleep. And um, when you do that, it tends to help prevent some of the overeating. It leads to reduction in weight. It improves the patient's ability to get good digestion, have better sleep quality. You know, a big part of chronic pain is sleep disruption. And a big part of not healing well is sleep disruption. Non-REM deep sleep, that deep phase of sleep associated with the anabolic cascade of hormones associated with healing. So when people don't sleep well, they don't heal well. When people don't sleep well, their ability to cope uh, physically and psychologically is limited. And so, and also sleep medications oftentimes have significant side effects, just like all medications. Uh, and some drugs like Ambien and others can be really quite problematic. And so a lot of the work we do at True North Health is helping people safely withdraw from chronic medication abuse and do it in a controlled setting and then get rid of the reason why they got on the stupid medications to begin with. And then mm -hmm. their success at choosing to stay free is better, um, you know, 
Because for right. a lot of our patients, the only reason they ever got into trouble with drugs was just a failed attempt to try to cope with problems that they didn't otherwise know how to deal with. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, I'll have to add that we the don't eat three to four hours before bedtime. I don't think we quite make that based on our day and our schedule and what time we finally eat. Um, that's part of the problem for people is they've got so much on their plate mm -hmm. that it's very difficult for them to cope. And so one of the things we encourage patients to do is recognize you have some limitations. And the first thing you need to do is make sure you get the quality of sleep that you need. The second thing Absolutely. is that you have time to eat well and exercise. And then what time left is when you go to work and try to do that. And preferably at a job that's enriching, not driving two hours a day to someplace you hate, working with people you despise for a company you detest, making things you don't believe in, doing stuff you don't want to do because you think your life isn't good because you have a, a short-term pleasure-seeking self-indulgent behavior deficiency. People don't differentiate pleasure and happiness. You know, pleasure is dopamine based. And, you know, people that snort a lot of cocaine may induce a lot of pleasure, but they're not going to necessarily get happy because happiness is more serotonin dominated. So it's, you know, you can't get happy by inducing more pleasure. And so once you differentiate that and you realize, okay, if my goal is to get happy, that is to have the overall balance of my life experience highly positive. Being dependent on short-term pleasure-seeking behavior isn't going to work. And sure. You can't go to get there from here. Yeah. You just chase it and chase it, but it's hollow and it's empty. And it's that's just because a lot of people think they're the same yeah. thing. If they're not happy, they don't have enough pleasure. So they need sure. more promiscuous sexual behavior. They need more drug use. They need more whatever. And right. think somehow if they could just fill that, then they, they get happy. That's not been my experience. My experience has been that pleasure is there for a reason to drive behaviors that favor survival and reproduction. And that's where drug abuse and, and frankly, the effect of highly processed foods have a drug-like effect. That's why we wrote a book called The Pleasure Trap, the hidden force that undermines health and happiness. And it's people continuing to bang on those dopamine circuits, whether it's drug addiction or eating salt, oil, sugar, and highly processed foods that get them into a problem that you know, is very difficult to escape from. We use fasting as a way of escaping the pleasure trap because it reboots the palate. For example, cigarette smokers. You know, it's hard to quit smoking. When you go, through, you go through all kinds of, when you quit smoking fasting, by the second or third day for most people, they have no more physical cravings. That, that withdrawal effect is greatly facilitated. Now, some people say, yeah, they're so miserable fasting, they don't think about the cigarettes. But that's <laughs> not really what happens. It's that withdrawal effect is just facilitated. You still have to deal with all the psychological issues. And that's the point I want to make is we're not a drug treatment facility, even though we spend a lot of time people getting off uh, drugs because we address the physical parts of getting sure. healthy. There's another whole realm of psychological issues that have to be addressed for many people. And we're not the facility you know, that does that. That's not you know, what we're about. We don't have that expertise or that experience. Uh, but what I have found that for people whose primary issue is pain and, and you know, uh, uh, managing um, those issues, uh, once they're out of pain, oftentimes it's a relatively downhill, you know, battle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, pain no. Primary problems may be psychological and they're using yep. drugs for other reasons. Um, mm -hmm. You know, we wouldn't necessarily be, you know, the place that I'd recommend. I'd recommend the more traditional right. facilities that address the whole gamut right. of, uh, yes. of addiction. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I can just from personal experience, from my husband's experience, he was having quite a bit of lower back pain, which, you know, it's just kind of there. And after we did this diet, he recalls very specifically one day as he's in the garden, bending down, digging up crabgrass or something out of the yard. And he stood up 
without that pain. And he, for a moment, just kind of like, oh my gosh, I just like completely threw my back out where I can't even feel it anymore because there was no pain. And um, then he realized, no, wait a minute, I'm fine. Everything's still there and working. I just didn't feel the pain. And just that little bit uh, made a big difference in the diet too. Now, as I know a, you do a, a lot. Doctor, you know, we see people yeah. with chronic pain. As an osteopathic right. physician, we see people with chronic pain. We do mechanical things. But I have to yes. say, the doctors of chiropractic and osteopathy that work at the Tumor Health Center uh, joke amongst ourselves that you better treat patients right away because if you wait till they're done fasting, there may be nothing left to do because everything <laughs> kind of itself up. <laughs> Putting yourself out of business. <laughs> Um, I know you do a lot of education, educating healthcare providers and stuff, and you have a residency program for your physicians. Yeah. Do you work with a specific medical school, or is that open to anybody that applies? Well, we actually have a number of uh, medical schools, osteopathic colleges uh, that we work with. Uh, Texas A&M, their second and third year residents can rotate uh, for a month as part of their training in their functional medicine program. We have uh, relationships with a number of the uh, medical and osteopathic colleges, the naturopathic profession, we are an ND residency training site. So those doctors can come for a year postdoc uh, to get their residency requirements. Uh, the chiropractors can come for a quarter, the last quarter of their schooling uh, from a number of the schools. Uh, so they can do that last quarter with us instead of in their school clinic so that they can get hands-on experience actually getting people well. We also offer uh, training for physicians that want to do something worthwhile with their life and learn how to use fasting and nutrition. And so they can come and rotate in uh, uh, too. And so these doctors are here anywhere from a month to a year. Uh, we provide room, board, training. There's no fees. It's all provided by our, our nonprofit uh, foundation as part of our educational outreach. Uh, we also have a website called fasting.org, which is a free fasting compendium website where the world's literature on fasting is brought together and it's searchable and people can access that. And we have our, our uh, we have a Roku channel, True North Health, where all of our content is freely available. Or they can go onto our website, healthpromoting.com, and they can access our video links. Everything is uh, is freely available to them. We even okay, offer great. a service to patients that want to know is fasting something that might be appropriate for them. They can go on our website, complete registration forms, which gets me the medical history, and I'll offer a free phone conversation with them so that we can discuss whether or not this is relevant. Also, maybe refer them to a doctor that might be closer to them than the True North Health Center if they're in areas around the country. So we yeah, actually yeah. provide uh, training to about uh, um, all over uh, the country and actually internationally as well. Um, it's very hard for doctors to get hands-on training using long-term water-only fasting. This is a facility that does offer that training. Okay, great. And I knew your contact form does work. <clears throat> I had a family member that actually reached out to you guys. And I think within 24 hours, she heard back from somebody. So, so that's good. Do you offer any kind of training? Is it just the physicians, chiropractors? I mean, pharmacists, a lot of times pharmacists are involved in pain management and prescribing is can they get involved in the training as well? Currently, the, the type of uh, people that we're training with our residency training are MDs, DOs, DCs, NDs, uh, PAs, and nurse practitioners. Uh, we've also recently been uh, experimenting with uh, some nursing uh, applicants, and that seems like it may work as well. Uh, haven't had a pharmacist yet, although we would certainly be open to that. Uh, we would probably benefit uh, significantly. Uh, uh, you know, all of these doctors that come in and train with us 
you know, we've had everybody from urologists to ER physicians, and they all bring their expertise and help educate all of our doctors. We have a weekly grand rounds meeting of all of our clinical staff. And we have doctors of medicine, chiropractic, osteopathy, psychology, uh, naturopathy integrated in our staff. We all meet and review all the active patients each week. And during those grand rounds, oftentimes our, our residents and, and guest doctors are able to help us with their own insights. And so that's been a way we've been able to uh, broaden everybody's education. It's a unique yeah. clinic because we have all these different doctors with different training and background all mm -hmm. working together. And so uh, it helps us bring a comprehensive view to each patient's evaluation. Right. What ties you all together is you all need to eat healthy to stay healthy. And it doesn't matter what we do for work, right? We can apply it in, in some way to, well, okay, that's great. Do you have a bunch of- philosophical bent is that health is the result of healthful living. Yeah. So our focus yep. is diet, sleep, exercise, and when it's appropriate, medically supervised water only fasting. Sure. Do you have a bunch of hangry people running around at your clinic? Like just- Interestingly enough, you know, after the second day of fasting, most people experience no hunger. There's a hunger blunting effect of ketosis, which is how these fasting mimicking diets are, are being used. They put people on high protein, high fat diets, and they get a fasting mimicking hunger blunting mechanism so they can lose weight. The problem is the high protein, high fat diets may not necessarily be the long-term sustainable sure. health promoting diets. And so fasting, you know, we don't fast people forever. We wouldn't put people on high fat, high protein diets forever. But the point, the point is that's the mechanism. And so when people are fasting, they really have, they go to cooking classes, they go to, they, they interact with other patients. They really don't have, hunger is not the problem for most people fasting. Okay. All right. Well, I never thought I would be able to do it. I was one of those that's like, don't bother mom. She's hungry. But uh, I'm, hungry I'm very proud of myself. Sugar levels are sometimes bouncing around when people are eating sugars and the insulin goes up, when sugar goes down, the brain thinks you're starving. And in reality, once your brain is changed from burning glucose to burning ketones, there's a very strong stabilizing mechanism, a hunger blunting mechanism that kicks in. Okay. That's why I've been able to kind of ease into it. Anybody that would know me be like, what? You're fasting? Like, yeah, can you believe it? All right. Well, thank you. The As I said, the purpose of these interviews is to give all of you in insights into drug diversion, prevention, monitoring, and addiction healing. And my hope is that today's conversation has given you something else to think about as another avenue for healing. Thank you for joining us. And thank you very much, Dr. Goldhammer, for your time.